you know, if we're pursuing SEO that way, we do have to worry about every shift, every algorithm, every update. We can do good SEO and it's going to outlast all of the, the latest takes. Welcome to Page One or Bust, your ultimate guide to getting on page one of search engines. This episode is a deep dive conversation into weathering shifts that can happen during search engine updates and making it out on the other side unscathed. Joining us is David Zimmerman, an SEO consultant with 15 years of experience helping publicly traded companies to small businesses. You'll hear David's valuable insights into past, present, and future Google updates. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Page One or Bust is brought to you by Demand Jump. Get insights, drive outcomes with Demand Jump. Get started creating content that ranks for free at demandjump.com today. And now, here are your co-hosts, Drew Detzler and Ryan Brock. Welcome back to Page One or Bust. This is your host, Drew Detzler. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Brock. Ryan, how are we doing? Yo. Oh, so good. And I love the presumption that someone's listened to this show before, Drew. That was great. <laughs> fake it. We'll fake it till we make it. Well, I'm excited too. We have a fantastic guest today, David Zimmerman, who is an SEO coach with Curious Ants. David has 15 years plus experience as an SEO, publicly traded companies, mom and pop shops alike, started a, another company, Reliable Acorn, and most recently, CuriousAnts.com. David, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited. Why don't you go ahead, I mean, 15 years plus as an SEO, starting a couple of companies, you probably have the most experience here, maybe combined. So tell us a little bit about Curious Ants uh, and your role as an SEO coach. Yeah. So during the pandemic, I was lonely. And I decided that I needed to make more friends. So I started Curious Ants. Okay, that's not exactly right. <laughs> so, you know. Believable. I, Believable. Right, yeah, yeah, with, it, was, it rings true for, for, for me, at least. <laughs> when I was in the agency world, I really loved having a team and coaching a team and really encouraging that team, showing them what I knew, downloading that, you know, supporting them. And I realized there were a lot of people who are like getting started in SEO, especially web designers, web developers who like get all these questions all the time. And they, they just they just don't know because they don't keep up with it. They're keeping up with the latest technologies. They don't have time for SEO. So I kind of started Curious Ants to help the contacts I knew who were web dev people get some good resources, good advice. to And you know I'm keeping up with it so I can download to them. But it also, it fulfilled the scratch in me to kind of be supportive of people and teams because I'm a pretty small shop. Real main company, Reliable Acorn, is a kind of a, you know, I take a few number of good clients that I know I can help. And so that's just not scalable. <laughs> that's just not, and there's a cap of how much I can yeah. do. But curious enough, I can really support a lot of people and it kind of, it, it feels good to help these people with their getting all kinds of questions from their clients and, you know. We're, we're kind of refielding those. We're kind of getting them started doing the right stuff rather than, you know, oh, here's some clickbait title that you need to follow. And this is the final secret that, you know, yep. use Snapchat and it'll improve your SEO kind of baloney. Let's, let's like teach people how to do it right from start. With 15 years of SEO experience, I want to pick David's brain a little bit about how he got started. How did how did you fall into the SEO game? Oh, that's embarrassing. Do I have this? Yeah. Do I have to tell you? <laughs> no, it's great. I was in a, in a need for a career change and I was about to make a huge shift in my life. So I went to this job interview. It sounded kind of cool. 
you know, the interview went really well. And so at the interview, I was introduced to this, this strange concept. And so I had to go home after the interview and Google what is SEO, because apparently that was the interview I was on. <laughs> I later, you know, when I, I did end up getting the job and I found out that the reason the agency hired me was because they had spoken to Matt Cutts at one of the conferences on the West Coast at the time. Okay. And they kind of asked Matt, you know, what should we be looking for to hire an SEO? Mm -hmm. And the answer that he gave them, again, this is all second, third hand, but he, he said, you need someone who knows a little bit of web dev, but it doesn't have to be a web developer. Okay. A little bit of marketing, but doesn't really have to be a full-fledged marketer. And if you've got those skill sets, they're going to make a good SEO. I wonder if it's the same today, because I think like most of the guests that we talk to, we can all, we can all sort of relate on that, that notion that like, the confidence and just enough skill to be dangerous and just tinkering around with crap online is like such an important part of an SEO's DNA. And like, I remember when I started my agency, like how much time I spent beating my head against like WordPress plugins and weird stuff that like were never in my wheelhouse necessarily, but like you had to just keep up with. I wonder how much it's like that these days, where if it feels like everyone's just sort of out there like learning themselves by breaking stuff or if things have changed. I think I'd add one more skill to the list, not just marketing and, and tech, but like math. Yeah. Like so much is analytics these days. We have such good analytics and to have some basic math skills is super helpful. You know, I started college as an engineer and I lasted about a semester and that math foundation, I think, helps me understand like the analytics that I'm looking at. And I think some of my clients... They come from a marketing perspective, but the math part of analytics makes them a little, little scary. Yep. You know, I was just about to say something self-deprecating about how that removes me from consideration, but I've been building like algorithms this year. Yeah. No, you're, you know, you, yeah, you, you can't, you can't I've use come that. a long way, baby. You can use it for humor if you want. And I, and I, I won't tell on you, but no, yeah, you can't use that legitimately anymore. You've, you've come a long way. The book Originals talks about how people who have just a little bit of experience in a field often make breakthroughs and or find large success. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about here, especially especially at that time. And I, I think to Ryan's point, still today, it's a lot of tinkering and, and finding stuff out. So someone who's not knee deep in it constantly can, can kind of see stuff that others can't. Well, yeah. And I think that's the whole point, right? Like, like I, the part of me that wants to make fun of my math skills, like remembers the reasons that I used to get like C averages in math class in school was because like, I always just wanted to break it and make it as easy and quick as possible. Like I didn't want to show my work. I didn't want to take that time. But like, if I could force the right answer, I felt like I did something right. And I think that's sort of what it is today, where it's like people who know just enough about something to be dangerous, their laziness is their muse. You know what I mean? It's just like, well, I, I want to hack this and figure it out. And SEO feels like a lot of that. I know that like pillar-based marketing is the result of a lot of that with us and, and what we learned along the way. So yeah, that tracks. And it seems like that, that's similar to the advice that was given to the company that hired David was know just a little bit about it to, to be dangerous, I guess, but because things are going to change and change constantly. And that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about, David, because we're obviously in a big period of change here as far as Google and algorithms are concerned. You've certainly seen quite a few changes over your 15 year uh, career. How, how do we manage those shifts? How do we how do we stay in front of them and live through them? Yeah, I, I think that so much of this has to go with your SEO philosophy, right? If your philosophy to SEO is we're going to trick Google and we're going to figure out like secret sauces and pursue some rumor that we heard that if you put a, something on YouTube and then you 
you add these tags and you link back to this and that, and that suddenly you're going to quote unquote rank, whatever that means. You know, if we're pursuing SEO that way, we do have to worry about every shift, every algorithm, every update. But if we're pursuing it from a perspective of, okay, this is marketing and I need a little technical understanding to make sure Google can read my site. I need enough marketing to understand how my customers are searching for me and how to speak to those customers. And enough marketing to understand that I need to figure out why anyone else would want to talk about me. We can do good SEO and it's going to outlast all of the, the latest things. So, yep. you know, I remember at one point, one of our strategies at the old agency was we buy domain names exact match domain names. And we built a little teeny site, be ugly, and we built links from it, you know? Yep. And it worked. Until Panda? Until it didn't. <laughs> well, it did until the exact match domain, the yeah. first exact match domain uh, okay. algorithm shift, yep. right? And then, then they didn't quite figure it out. So they did a second one. And then, yeah, and then, well, the Panda, I remember the day Panda hit. Don't we all? And we all wondered, do we need to be looking for a new yeah. career? Yep, yeah. Yeah, what you're saying is so right. And it's that's why I had to bring that word up because it's just like SEO has felt like this game where it's like there's a gold rush and then and then the mind gives out, right? And then there's a gold rush and the mind gives out. And it's like, that's an exhausting way to live. I don't know why people want to do it. Like I remember one time a client came to me and said, oh my goodness, our competitor is out of the SERPs. Just out of, they disappeared overnight. The nightmare. Good for them. They shouldn't been playing around. Like <laughs> yeah. we and we just kind of slid in there and and you know because they were pursuing an aggressive thing. We were behind them because they were being aggressive. Google caught up with them out of the SERPs. We're still there, so we just have showing consistent growth because we're doing marketing, not flashes and pans that then evaporate. Yeah, creating continuous, legitimately helpful content. That, that example of a customer or, or, you know, a client or a competitor just vanishing is the nightmare, right? Algorithm update right. comes out, everything drops, continues to drop, you're gone. You yeah. don't know why. It is the marketer's nightmare. Talk to me a little bit more about how you avoid that and, and, and what you do instead of focusing on technical and things like that. How do you avoid that? How do I avoid it? I I can't say I've always avoided it. Yeah. I had a really painful, quick little audit with a, a client the other day. It's a, a nice woman. This is her retirement job. It's this website of an interest area she's super interested in. She's really worked really hard to do everything she's supposed to. Good, unique content, talking to customers, establishing credibility. You know, it's built on a WordPress website, so it's pretty pretty standard, easy to crawl. It's not even complicated like that. Google just decided one day, you're out. Yeah. And the helpful content, she got hit so bad by the helpful content, like really, her retirement income's gone. And it was just like, oh, I really wish I could say, oh, you screwed up the SSL certificate. Like, yeah. yeah. I yeah, was yeah. looking for the magic yeah. bullet. Oh, well, you know, you, you, you screwed up a redirect, you got a loop, fixed the loop, now you're back. You know, no, nope. we ruled out all the technical things on the site. Okay. And you know, she's now in this horrible place of deciding, do I even keep fighting this? Do I even this? do this? Can I, can I get back? It's devastating. And you hit that, you hit that moment of, can I ever get back in, in Google's, you know, good graces? And you don't know. It's terrifying. Right. How do you go about that? It, you know, when someone decides, yeah, all right, let's get back up there. What are the next steps for you? Well, as long as we, I want to rule out all the technical issues, you know, make sure there's nothing weird. I, I want to just confirm because everybody 
you know, the whole, we used to talk about black hat, white hat SEO, and I don't hear that very much anymore, but yeah. I never found that to be useful paradigm because one person's black hat is another person's white hat. I think the better way of looking at it is how risk averse are you? If you're in a certain industry, legal industry, insurance, boy, that's so competitive. You've got to take a little risk if you're going to perform. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're applying that same riskiness to, you know, an everyday store, then boy, you know, that's that's a that's really a danger because you probably don't need to be that risky. I want to double click on that. I want to double click on that before we go yeah. forward because I don't know if I agree. I mean, I think there are some some tactics that are very clearly black hat that are not worth the risk, just even on a logical level. So I like I'm wondering what you mean by that. Like what, yeah. what would you consider to be like black hat that's like just just dark enough that it's it's might have some good reward, but not like crazy, you know, off the reservation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and that's why I don't like the black hat, white hat, because one person says, you know, I'm gonna pay for links all day long. I'm just gonna keep paying for links. That's totally explicitly against Google's guidelines. They don't care. They're gonna keep paying for links. Other people say, well, I'm not really paying for a link. I'm really paying for someone to write in their blog and happen to link to me. So am I paying for the link? And so to describe that as a black hat tactic is not as helpful as how much risk are you willing to take? And is it worth it for your space, your industry there? You know, and clearly I don't think anybody disagree a black hat tactic is hacking websites for links, right? You know, we've all seen those Louis Vuitton links <laughs> In our WordPress sites when yeah. we don't update them. That's fair. That's super risky, super questionably valuable, I'd suggest. Yeah. Well, that that's what it is for me. And I think I'm, I'm a very like justice oriented person. Like I get mad when I, when I think something is, is happening that shouldn't be, you know, like recently there, there's that article that came out. I don't remember what publication about SEOs ruining the internet. Oh, like there's a lot, like what I'm doing today with my day to day and the whole pillar based marketing thing is literally in some ways, my way of apologizing for that. Like a lot of people are really mad about that. And I think that like, it's, it's definitely painting in two broad strokes. Like SEOs didn't ruin the internet. However, I do think black hat ones did. Like I think paying for links, pay, even paying somebody to write an article about you to put a link into it is bad for for everybody. I don't think that's good for literally anybody. It's not good for Google. Google knows it's not good because it's not genuine. People are out there like we have shifted from, hey, person who's knowledgeable about this, sell me, help me figure out what to buy to I'm going to be the one that's knowledgeable about this. I'm going to learn about this. And if, you know, you're going out into a competitive market and 90% of what's out there are fake endorsements, I don't know. I think that that does make things worse for for the economy. I think it makes things worse for consumers. I think it makes things worse for just the level of discourse in the country. So, like, I personally root like crazy when, you know, I can I can arrive at a tactic that doesn't require in any way me to pay people to put, you know, Backlinks in. Now, if you're a PR agency and you're going to a publication and saying, I have a newsworthy event or I have a remarkable idea or concept or person or whatever that I want to highlight and you can get that person to say, wow, yeah, you're right. This is this is noteworthy. That's awesome. And it does the double dip. It works on every level. I think I think it'll be a good day when literally just going to somebody and, and buying a link stops working on any level personally. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, we talked about Panda, but like Google has baked Panda into the algorithm. So the risk now with buying links, whether you're strictly going and buying it or 
trying to get around it because I'm not really buying it. I'm buying content, whatever. Google ignores most of those links. Yeah. Right. I agree with that. Yeah. It's just wasting your time and money. Yeah. You know, time and money that could be put for a client's benefit is now just putting some random, terrible blog that no one reads or God forbid, some sort of PBN that like no one can even find. Like you're just wasting your client's time and money when you're doing that at this point. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. And like I think to me, it's like, okay, I'll say it this way. I think I'm very, very good at what I do. I think I do a lot of things and I think I'm very talented. I don't have any awards. No one's ever given me an award. I don't have any awards for anything. And that's because I'm too busy doing what I do to go and like apply for awards for myself. And like you know, I think it was many years into my professional career when I realized that that was the case. That Like, if somebody isn't nominating me for an award, I'm not going to be doing it for myself, certainly, because I just don't have time. I'd rather be doing what I do. I think this is the same thing. It's like the same exact thing where it's just like some people are still so, I don't know, successful at selling SEO with the vanity metrics. Like, like you know, hey, we, we got you this link. We nominated you for this award. And it doesn't really matter. No one's ever going to, like, give you a cash prize for it. But we we did it. And like, you know, too many people who are marketers who are buying SEO services are not aware that like, that's just vanity. And yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And the whole selling of an SEO as a product is part of this problem, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what are you buying from your SEO team? Are you buying hours? Are you buying items? You know, if you're buying items, are you just buying a commodity, right? Like I, I, I hate it when a client's like, well, how many blog posts am I getting this month? Well, as many as you need, right? Because sometimes I want to write a really good long article and that's what you need. Other times you're going to need 10 pieces. And if you just want X pieces done by me each month, well, my pressure is to produce those X pieces a month at the cheapest rate I can so that I can fulfill the obligation. So, you know, rather than say uh, you get X a month, I try to encourage clients to say, you know, I'm going to, I'm on the hook to doing what needs to get done and look at the results. Don't look at the commodity or the items delivered. I'm curious what Drew has to say about this because, you know, he is like, he is that like spreadsheet left brain CMO guy. But like, we are living in a world where like, so everything is so metricized and in marketing, especially like I feel like technology and, and our ability to actually analyze data for any valuable purpose. It's been slow to catch up with how quickly we've turned to if I can't quantify it, it's not worth talking about. And I'm not saying that like brand awareness is like, you know, unsung and, and underappreciated. The point is just that like we are very much incentivized right now where we're sitting at the end of 2023 to like to report what we can report. And that means that we don't bother reporting on the stuff that we can't report on because we don't have a metric for it. And I think that's a disservice that we do as an industry to ourselves. I agree. I I, I am admittedly an analytic. I would spend my entire day in Excel if I could. It, it It's my comfort zone. It's my blanket. But when it comes to that, there's a reason Google isn't saying, hey, go use this content grader. Go make sure you make sure you include keywords this many times. There's a reason that they don't have because they don't want that. Every update they say, every time an algorithm update comes out and they say, here's what you should do if you see drops, it's not go make sure you include that keyword more times or you know, run it through this grader. It's make sure it's helpful, make sure it's useful. They want to step over that. They're clearly saying get away from making this too metric-based and just create good content.
All right. Let me, I got one last question here, David, before we wrap up. And it's around kind of what we were talking about with analytics and, and a lot of marketing being over metricized, metricized, whatever we want to call it. And, and this is from my perspective, but when budgets get cut, the first thing I cut is something that I can't tell exactly what the ROI is of it. And historically, SEO and content has been one of those that you can't, you can't always put a value on it. So it gets cut first. In, in almost every instance, we see it a lot. I'm sure you've seen it a lot. How do you combat that when when one of your clients comes to you and says, "Hey, you know, we're cutting budgets. I, I, we can't, we can't do SEO. We, you know, we're going to cut, minimize SEO and content." I've been in that position so often that I always prep with the long term, and I'm always pushing clients to focus on results of customer acquisition and income. I want to track the results of our SEO efforts as close as I can to actual income. Now, if it's an e-commerce site, that's easy. But if it's a lead gen site, it's a little harder. But I definitely want to know at least how many leads we've got, how many customers, if we can, we'll use how many customers. And if if we're really good, we can know how much money they made from the customers they got, from the leads they got from the website. And so when I'm setting my reports up for the first, you know, months, I'm pushing them to think about that. So that when they are saying, well, we got to cut budgets because things are thin, I can point to them and say, but you realize you made this much money from our SEO campaign over the last month. Yep. Whatever. I There was one client, they're a very obscure B2B kind of industrial thing. It's one of these things you never knew existed, but now you realize, oh, wow, their entire economy relies on this. The I worked with this client for a couple of years and we, you know, we figured out how much they're making in total, not just for closed leads, but, you know, income and projects. So much that when the president looked at the line item and said, what's this SEO thing? Why are we paying this every month? I didn't even have to get on that call. The entire sales team said, because he sends us leads and we made this much money from it. Yep. Don't you cut that line item. We make a ton of money. So I don't report like rankings. Yeah, I will report traffic only so far as the traffic shows we're getting leads. And then I will use a CRM or something like that at the back end to show how many of those leads are converting into customers and at what value. Because if I can prevent the problem by showing that this is making the company money, then when that question of how do we cut budgets comes in, it's really clear you better not cut with this yeah, because it's making money. It's all about revenue. And yeah. there you go, Ryan. Analytics is a part of everything, has to be, or else marketers won't do it. That's, that's the bottom line. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. I And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm looking forward to our like go-to tactics for reporting value on on content and organic search becoming more like reliable and predictable and simpler to understand because I think it's just going to get better from here. I agree. All right. Beautiful. Well, David, we're going to wrap up with what we call our lightning round where I just ask you a few quick questions. Are there any books or movies, marketing or otherwise, that have made you a better marketer? Gosh, I, I, I'm such a movie guy. I really wish I could answer this with a movie, but the first Me thing too. I Me to, too. I always want to like come up with a good answer for this that's like not a business book, but it's hard. Yeah, maybe I can pivot this into Loki season two. I don't know. But like I, I, I look at my bookshelf over here and the, the, I think the top one has to be Chris Anderson, The Long Tail. Okay. Yep. 
because he just really showed me the value of how people are looking for things and it's not what you always think and the money doesn't really come from like the, the very broad phrases. The money comes from the very specific phrases and the mass yeah. quantity specific phrases that are out there. Yes, it does. That's a core part of my book as well. Uh, I'm still waiting for a guest to, to float that one, but it ain't <laughs> ever going to happen. Uh, yeah, that is uh, that. That is, in fact, a key to what to what we do. So um, you know, you know, David, uh, hold on, I got to we got to stop here because I do think I can make Loki season two work. Okay, do it. Like, I mean, spoiler alert: if you haven't watched Loki season two, I guess like shut this off now. But I mean, Loki, he he learns what what kind of god he needs to become, and it's the god of stories, right? Mm-hmm. Like Loki realizes that every story is worth telling, and he's got to hold them together. I feel like that's a little bit what an SEO is. Like whatever your industry is, whatever your niche is, you you have to become a god of stories to hold all those those narratives together because when people come, they're not going to come linearly. They're not going to come in one straight path on one clean timeline. They're going to come from wherever they're coming and they're going to go wherever they're going and you got to be there for it. Or maybe Google is Loki and we are, oh, the, the technician dude in the basement of the TVA. Ouroboros, yeah. OB. Maybe that's who we are. We're the technicians trying to manage it. And then Loki is the one, is the real god. Of, Google is the god of stories. Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. <laughs> look, at, look at you guys, storytellers. All right. And last one here, David. Are there any marketing SEO or content myths that you've busted throughout your career? Well, I, I feel like a few years ago, everyone was all about how social affects SEO and you need to, your, your, your Facebook page somehow affects your SEO. So I, I did some experience and like, yeah, I don't buy it. Like Google and Facebook are competitors. Number one, like ultimately Facebook is a search engine of sorts and Google can't really read it. So it's not like even if Google wanted to use your Facebook to, to help your SEO, they wouldn't, you know, they couldn't. So like, I feel like I've done several things to show you know, social media is great in its own way. Don't don't think that I tweeted it, therefore my SEO is better or something like that. I can literally remember saying this to, to not like saying the opposite of what you're saying right now to somebody in like, I don't know, 2012, 2013, saying to one of my clients, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to post this article and then we're going to tweet about it three times a day because each link on Twitter is one more like authority signal to this article. And, you know, of course, on all right. of that, it was never true, but that's just like an illustration of how easy it is to come into this world, to start paying attention to the most obvious, you know, guidelines or, or thoughts that are available to you. <coughs> um, and then just, you know, get trapped in stuff that doesn't really matter and has no impact on your, your ability to succeed. And yet, because I've got that silver tongue, baby. I was able to sell SEO for years before I understood that the stuff that I was saying was bunk. And that's that's the real fun thing about our industry is it's all made up. And yet, I don't know, it isn't. Yeah. And and it's just been fun to watch over the last several years. Yeah, it has been. Now, I, 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 I agree with all of that on the social front. Now, we I have proven over with many companies that paid search does have an impact on SEO because it's in the same arena. Have you uh, been following the, 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 the lawsuit? I've been following it loosely. Yes. Yeah. Like the admissions made by the lawsuit, like yep. that's giving that even more credibility. Like I noticed how over the pandemic, everybody, all my CPCs just skyrocketed. I'm like, why? Yep. One is demand. Everyone's like, oh crap, 
pour money into paid search, the demand goes up. Now Google's admitting they actually inflated the prices. Yep. And, and your budget, your monthly budget has an impact on your SEO rankings results. We've seen we've seen that conclusively. Yeah, we've seen uh, like, that conclusively like, with high correlation at, at multiple companies. Yeah. And we've got I've gotten to a point now where we have new new customers come on a demand jump and they're learning the pillar-based marketing methodology and they're like, you know, is how can I use this for paid? Like I literally say, well Google will tell you that there's no there's no interaction, but there 100% is and we've seen it over dozens and dozens of cases and it's just funny how even today we're all playing by the rules of somebody who knows the rules but doesn't want us to. And it's just like it's sobering sometimes. It's a tough game, but yes, we'll I really need to get a tinfoil hat made for this podcast. <laughs> I think it'd be fun. We could mail them to our guests ahead of time. <laughs> we all make our living off Google, but we also hate it at the same time. Yep. It's a strange relation. It's our frenemy, our professional frenemy. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, great conversation, David. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's nice to see you guys. Yeah, you too, David. Thanks for coming on. Are you ready to dive even deeper into pillar-based marketing? Here's your chance. The brand new book, Pillar-Based Marketing, a data-driven methodology for SEO and content that actually works by co-hosts Ryan Brock and Christopher Day is now available in paperback, hardcover, and ebook editions. Find it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or look for the link in the show notes.